God is good, amen? Yeah, so when I came up during corporate intercession, I mean, all those things I shared, it was, it was just things that the Lord was placing upon my heart during worship. Um, yeah, I wasn't expecting all of that to take place, but the Almighty has His purposes, and His plan is, is definitely different than our plans, amen? His plans are better than our plans, right? It's not just that his plans are different. His plans are better. Oftentimes, uh, we find ourselves struggling, wrestling, and it's really just to relinquish a substandard plan for a significantly better one. You know, why am I struggling so much? It's because God just wants you to give up this jacked up plan you've been holding on to (laughs) and take a plan that is immeasurably more than what you ask or imagine. Yeah, he's worthy. So last week, last week I talked to you guys about discipline, right? And that discipline is grace. I know that can be a hard thing to hear, right? Discipline is grace. But I really believe that last week God really established it in this house and established it at this campus in particular, that discipline is a manifestation of God's grace. And today I want to I want to talk to you about not discipline. I want to talk to you about discipline. I think that was a word for last week. Today, I want to talk to you about the kingdom. You know, up in Itaewon right now, they're having the the Itaewon Global Festival, right? So they've got all these different countries. I talked about it a bit at Sunday Swim. All these different booths. I was up there earlier today, and I was just watching. They had this Korean rock band, and they were going after it. Hey, they were all right. I mean, I don't listen to rock like that, but I was like, all right, you know. Yeah, you know I was just doing my own thing, and. I dress just like this. I mean, people were really looking at me like, this dude is weird. <laughs> this random black guy just in there like, yeah. You know, I was really feeling what they were doing. And it was so awesome because there's just this interchange of culture. This interchange of people from different backgrounds, different walks of life, different experiences. And they're all exchanging it all together. But I realized that that's just a picture of the kingdom of God. That's just a picture of what the kingdom's supposed to look like. Actually, the kingdom is people of all walks of life coming together, but not just that, but it's an institution of, of righteousness, of joy, of peace, of right relationship. And I was looking at this global festival and I was like, man, wouldn't it be something for the kingdom of God to just come in right now? Just for all these people to get to encounter God. Like they've never encountered him before. For their lives to be transformed by a revelation of who Jesus is. Man, it was the bomb. I was standing there like, I probably looked really weird then. Like at first I'm rocking out to the rock music. Then I'm standing there like. (laughs) Trust me, you know, if you're a newcomer, you can talk to me after service. I'm not that weird. I'm a little weird. But everyone here is a little weird. We celebrate that at New Philly. Yeah, you know, you ain't got to be perfect. 
You can be weird. We got a lot of weird people here. Some of y'all looking at me like, I don't receive that. I ain't weird. I'm unique. Yes. Yes, you are unique and weird. Today, I want to talk to you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The title of this message, if you're taking notes, is called Kingdom Blockers. Blockers. Not, not blackers, blockers. B-L-O-C-K-E-R-S. And we're going to actually just read three verses today. We're going to read from verses 9 to 11. I'm going to read it. I want you to read along with me. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Bow your heads. I'm going to pray for us. Father, I thank you so much that you are bringing your sons and daughters in this house to full maturity. And part of that maturity, God, involves removing the things, Lord, that keep us from inheriting the kingdom. And so, Father, today I pray that as the word goes out, Lord, that our our hearts would be open to receive it. That it would bring forth a harvest 30, 60, 100 fold. That God, that every work of the enemy, God, I just quench right now in Jesus' name. And Father, I declare, Lord, that each and every person in this house, they have a great inheritance. That they will inherit the kingdom of God. So Lord, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, and a mind to conceive what you prepared for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Like I said, today, I want to talk to you about the kingdom. Everyone wants the kingdom to come. Did you know that? Everybody and their mama wants the kingdom of God to come. Everyone. It doesn't matter if they know Jesus or not. They want the kingdom. You're like, what? That sounds weird. You know, the king, the word kingdom is broken down. It means the king's dominion. Kingdom. Dumb short for dominion, not dumb. The king's dominion, the institution of uh, the king's rule and reign upon this earth. And what I came to the realization of when I was preparing this sermon was that everyone wants the kingdom of God to come. Everyone wants the kingdom to come. They desire for the kingdom to break into their lives, to bring resolution, to bring healing, to bring breakthrough. No, this is not universalism, okay? I'm not saying that everyone gets saved and everyone's in the kingdom. It's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that everyone, to a certain extent, desires for the kingdom of God to come. Romans 14, 17 says that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, But it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
that the kingdom of God, when it comes, it comes with righteousness. We all want righteousness, right? Don't you want to wake up in the morning and not feel that you're dirty, not feel that you're you're holding all your past mistakes, all your past sins, everything that you've ever done wrong. No one wants to wake up holding on to those things. I mean, do you do you wake up like that? You know, thank you, God, for this regret. Thank you, Lord, for this shame. I'm just looking in the mirror. I feel so good. No one does that. Everyone wakes up in the morning and they want righteousness. And they they want righteousness at the deepest place possible. They want it at a place that they can't even put words to. We being awakened, our spirit man being made alive by the Holy Spirit, we know it's a spiritual thing. Everyone wakes up and they want peace. Peace in the Middle East. You know, not just peace in the Middle East, they want peace in their lives. But not peace just simply being the absence of conflict. Peace biblically is so much more than that. Peace is the Hebrew word shalom. Everyone say shalom. It doesn't just mean the absence of conflict, but it means wholeness. It means fulfillment. It means serenity, being unshakable, even in the midst of conflict. We all want peace like that. Everyone, even if it's your first day stepping into a church, coming to this service. I bet if we sit down and talk, you'll say, you know what? I'd like some peace. I never hear anyone saying, you know, I really want some anxiety. You know, you got some anxiety you can give me? Like, I really want some worration today. I really want to worry. No one, no one says that. Everyone wants that. And I bet everyone wants some joy, right? If you want some joy, say, I want some joy. (laughs) I heard it really in the back. They really want some joy. No one wakes up and say, you know, I really, man, you know what would make my day today? If I get depressed, that would really just, mm, that would put the cherry on top. No, everyone wants joy and not just joy, but the enjoyment of life, the enjoyment of everything that God has made, who God is and, and the life that they live, even their relationships. You want to walk in the fullness of joy, right? See, everyone wants the kingdom to come. See, when the kingdom of God comes, it comes with righteousness. When the kingdom of God comes, it comes with peace. When the kingdom of God comes, it comes with joy. The Bible talks about how when God's kingdom, his rule and reign is instituted, that every tear is is wiped away. That there's no more sorrow, no more crying, no more weeping. Wouldn't it be nice to no longer cry? All the brothers are like, I don't cry. You do at home. I see. Like no one sees you in the shower crying. I know. Prophetic. Just kidding. I'm just messing around. Y'all getting real serious. Like, oh, that's me. How do you know? You know, we, we want the kingdom of God to come. Everyone does. The adulterer wants the kingdom of God. The pornographer wants the kingdom of God. The drug addict, they want the kingdom of God. 
The person who's depressed and filled with anxiety, they want the kingdom of God. Because ultimately, after a while, the drugs, they stop doing their thing. The drugs, they stop giving you that peace and that right feeling and that joy you thought you had. After a while, the sex, it it begins to wear out. It begins to become hollow. The pornography, it, it no longer begins to touch you as much as you thought it did. It no longer begins to give you that peace and that comfort that you thought it could. After a while... The anger, the bitterness, the unforgiveness, it stops making you feel so righteous and then you start to feel unrighteous. And we want a change. Everyone does. The Muslim guy walking down the street, he wants the kingdom. That's why he goes to the, that's why he goes up there five times a day. That's why he prays. Because he needs a change. He just doesn't know how to get it. Haggai 2 says that, the, that Jesus is the desire of all nations. Did you know that? Last week I took my time and I kind of like taking my time. So I'm not going to rush again. But I'm going to be timely. No worries. Jesus is the desire of all nations. That means that every single person on the face of the earth desires Jesus. That in their heart of hearts, in the deepest place inside of them, they want Jesus. They want what Jesus can bring. They want to be forgiven of their sin. They want to be changed from the inside out. They want to be able to stand before God and be righteous. Everyone desires this. We all desire the kingdom. But there's a caveat, right? We can all desire the kingdom, but not everyone gets it. Jesus said in John 3, 3, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot he cannot even enter the kingdom. And Paul here in first Corinthians six, he tells us about what will keep us. From inheriting the kingdom. You know the reason why this is important to us today. Is because we desire for God's kingdom to be in our lives. And for it to expand everywhere we go. Amen. There's nothing like going into a place that's dark. And all of a sudden God's light begins to shine. There's nothing like going and talking to your family members who are filled with bitterness and unforgiveness. And all of a sudden the power of God comes in. The kingdom of God comes in. And now there's forgiveness. There's reconciliation. There's peace and there's renewed joy. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like walking into a place where you feel like there is absolutely no way I'm going to get this. There's no way that I'm going to be able to take this step. There's no way this person's going to give me favor. But I know that God's calling me here. And then all of a sudden, God breaks in with divine favor. All of a sudden, you're taking steps into your destiny and the kingdom of God is starting to expand. There's nothing like that, right? Don't we all want that? No. Why are you looking all sad all of a sudden? You need to wake up. Everyone's like, I don't, I don't know. We desire the kingdom of God to come, right? Yeah. Don't you desire it in every aspect of your life? Yeah. I, think, I think it's because you, you're, you're looking to see what's coming. 
you're afraid. You're like, I want the kingdom, but what is he going to say next? Let me guard my heart. See, we all want the kingdom, and, but Jesus says you, you have to be born again to enter the kingdom of God. That means that you have to come to a saving knowledge, a saving faith of who Jesus is. And his Holy Spirit has to come upon you and it has to regenerate you. There has to be new life that breaks in. You cannot just come in and just, you know, I just give my tithe. I sing some songs and I sit in a chair and expect that to mean born again. No, what Jesus is talking about is complete transformation. A transformation that can only happen by his spirit. And Paul talks about transformation, too. Let's get into it. First Corinthians six. Paul tells us what will keep us from the kingdom. He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous, the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Right. I read all this already. That none of these things will inherit the kingdom. Before this, Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth and he's he's going through various issues that are coming up in the church. We went through it already. Right. The church of Corinth, it was kind of jacked up like you had a guy that was sleeping with a stepmom. Like that's a little crazy. You had people in first Corinthians chapter six before this passage. Actually, what Paul deals with is that people in the church are suing each other. You owe me money. You owe me money. Let's take it to Judge Judy. You know, let's take it to the people's court. If you don't know what that is, those are like those TV shows that come on like Saturday at like 1 p.m. when nothing else is on. And it's when people, they they don't have like enough money to go to the actual courts. So they take it to Judge Judy and get put on stage. But what's happening in the church of Corinth is that you have all these different people who are suing one another. They're suing one another and they're they're greedy. They're trying to get money off of one another. And so Paul begins to rebuke them. He begins to tell them that this is wrong. If you're doing this, if you're suing each other in a secular court, then what kind of authority do you really have? And he's looking at them and he's saying, why are you doing this? Shouldn't you just handle this in the house of God? Your brother, shouldn't you just handle this in the family? You know, it's like back home. It's like, you know, you keep everything in the family, right? Anytime any issues come in, you keep it within the family. It's kind of like the movie, The Godfather. You know, they keep everything in the family. Paul's saying, keep everything in the family of God. What are you doing going to these secular courts? And he's rebuking them and he's talking to them. And then all of a sudden at verse nine, he comes in and he he flips the script. And he says, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? It's kind of like, Paul, what are you talking about? What, What are you really getting at here? But Paul wants them to know that they as a church, they're meant to institute, they're meant to live in and they're meant to expand the kingdom of God. But they're not. And there's some reasons why. The first thing he says is that they're unrighteous. And that word unrighteous actually means wicked. Everyone say wicked. Wicked. Unjust. You don't have to say that. Sinful. (laughs) He says that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom. 
Many times when I read my Bible and I, I read unrighteous or wicked, my first step is I think about somebody outside the church, you know, like we, we do that. We do the displacement, like the projection. It's like, oh, that ain't me. That's unrighteous. That's somebody else. I'm, I'm righteous. That ain't me. I don't be doing none of that. But this isn't some evangelistic letter that Paul's writing, actually. Paul's writing to the church. Paul's writing to the church and he says, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then he says, do not be deceived. See, the root issue here was that the people were walking in deception. You had all kinds of sin that was going on in their midst. But the people, they were walking in so much deception. Deception, why? Because they believed that they could continue to walk in their sin and also receive the kingdom. They believed that they could continue to do the things that they were doing and still be blessed. And still experience God's destiny and purpose over their lives. They believed, you know what? I got Jesus. You know, I'll I'll sin a bit now and then I'll repent later. I'll sin a bit now and I'll repent later. Jude actually talks about how people in the church can take the grace of God as a license to sin. And that's what was happening. They had received the grace of God. They had prayed the sinner's prayer. They had encountered the Holy Spirit. But all of a sudden, this grace of God had been perverted. All of a sudden, the grace of God began to be about making it easier for me to commit sin. Making it easier for me to continue to do the things that I want to do. And Paul says, do not be deceived. See, there was this deception that came in. You know, one commentary talked about how their persistence in wickedness. Paul was eventually saying that it would only prove that their faith was false. You know, I'm, I'm a Calvinist, so I don't believe necessarily. I don't believe that you, you lose your salvation. But I do believe that you can profess to have something you don't. And that's what Paul was saying. He's saying you're continuing to walk in sin. You're continuing to be immoral. You're continuing to walk in all these different things. And it's it's preventing you from inheriting the kingdom of God. Not just now, but potentially later. And this faith that you're sitting here saying that you have, it may not actually be true. Jesus said that every good tree will bear good fruit. You can tell a tree by its fruit. A bad tree, bad fruit. Paul points this out. And he's saying. You can't inherit the kingdom of God. If this is how you're living. If you're walking in this deception. You know. The kingdom doesn't break in where deception is present. Do you know that? Many times we wonder why I'm not experiencing God's righteousness. Why I'm not experiencing his peace. Why I'm not experiencing his joy. Why I'm not experiencing these things in full in the Holy Spirit. And the problem is because there's some deception present. The problem is because there are some things that are going on in your life that you refuse to deal with. So I'm going to go through some kingdom blockers today. See, Paul, he lays out 
some kingdom blockers. He gives them a list. He says, check it out, church in Corinth. I could speak in real vague terms to you, but I'm going to keep it real. Everyone say, keep it real. We like it when someone keeps it real, right? Paul likes to keep it real. He doesn't, he doesn't joke around. He doesn't, he doesn't cut any corners. He says, you know what? You, you're, right now, the way you're living, you can't inherit, inherit the kingdom of God. And so I'm going to tell you why you can't. What's impeding them? The first, do not be deceived. Let's look at verse 9. We're going to get into it today. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral. Pause right there. The first kingdom blocker, sexual immorality. Actually, the Greek word for sexual immorality, I talked about it last week, is the word porneia. It's a word where we get the word pornography. But it's actually a word that encompasses so much more than just pornography or sexual immorality. It encompasses the whole gamut of what you would think sexual immorality is. Everything from pornography and masturbation all the way to pedophilia. It all is encompassed in that word, porneia. When Paul says sexual immorality, he knows that they know that he's talking about everything. You know, some guys come to me and they're like, you know, well, I don't really see, I don't really see pornography in the Bible. You know, I don't really see masturbation in the Bible. I did a Google search. And I did not see masturbation. (laughs) But when Paul's writing here, he's actually including that term in the word porneia. They had an understanding that it encompassed all sexual immorality. And actually this word, it involved the next the next four things that he mentions. But Paul wanted them to know so much that he went to the next one. The next one, idolatry. The second kingdom blocker is idolatry. Everyone say idolatry. Idolatry. In my Bible reading right now, my personal Bible reading, I got to Exodus chapter 20. It's the Ten Commandments, right? And the first thing that God says is he says that you shall not worship any other gods before me. And then he talks about all these other things, right? The rest of the nine. But the truth of the matter is, is that first term, that first, that first commandment, really, it sums up everything else. Everything else in the rest of the Ten Commandments is actually idolatry. It all points back to having another God other than our God. And actually, in this passage, Paul, when he's talking about idolatry, he's talking about sexual immorality as idolatry. Did you know that lust is idolatry? Pastor Christian, he preached a message about covetousness. You remember that message? He talked about coveting and he's talked about how coveting is idolatry. That when you covet something, what you are doing is you are setting your eyes upon it and you are beginning to worship it. And you are beginning to say that that very thing will satisfy me. When the only thing that satisfies us, the only thing that we're supposed to worship and give worth to is God. In those Ten Commandments, actually, one of the commandments is that you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Why? Because that covetousness, that's idolatry. Many people wonder why you don't have righteousness breaking into your life, and it's because you've got idolatry in your life. There's so many other things that you're worshiping. And after a while, they stop satisfying, and then you're wondering why you have no more joy. And Satan, usually he takes that and he begins to put in some shame. So then you wonder why you have no more peace. Now you're all anxious in the presence of God. 
You can't sleep at night. And your kingdom impact is it's gone. The second one, we'll keep moving, is adultery. Adulterous. That's the third kingdom, kingdom blocker. How many of us are married in this piece? So the rest of us are like, cool, no more adultery. I don't have to worry about adultery, right? <laughs> it's like, that's their issue. Not really. You know, the word in the Greek for adultery, it actually just simply means to sleep with someone outside of the covenant of marriage. Jesus actually said that if you look at a woman with lust, you have committed adultery in your heart. Adultery is a kingdom blocker. You, when you're looking at someone else with lust, lustful intent, you're committing adultery in your in your heart. And then that makes it really hard for you to inherit the kingdom. The next one, oh, this one's a doozy. This one's controversial. Nor men who practice homosexuality. Homosexuality is the next kingdom blocker. But actually here in in the passage, it's really interesting. There's two different words for for homosexuality. He actually like the ESV writers, they want to be like real nice, right? They don't want to say anything that's too controversial, even though it's the Bible. And they say, well, we're going to put these two Greek words together and we're going to just say men who practice homosexuality. But actually in the Greek, there was there was the first word. I, I can't pronounce them. I don't want to jack up your Greek pronunciation either. But the first Greek word, it actually meant soft. The first Greek word that they meant for homosexuality, it meant soft. And it was actually a slang Greek word for effeminate. What Paul was saying was that an effeminate man could not inherit the kingdom of God. And what that was understood to mean in the culture of that time was that an effeminate man was a man who was walking around convinced that he was female. And it also meant a female that was walking around convinced that she was a man. Gender confusion. Oh, I'm, I'm born this way. What are you talking about? No, see, God doesn't see it that way. God actually doesn't see it as a a born this way issue. God sees it as a sin issue. See, the first word, it was a slang Greek word normally meant to mean soft, but was understood by the people to mean effeminate. A man who acted or believed that he should be treated as a woman or a woman who believed that they should be treated as if they were a man. It said that that kind of person couldn't inherit the kingdom. And then the second word actually meant homosexual acts. See, this first person was committing homosexual acts because they had some they had a they had gender confusion. And then the next person was committing homosexual acts. For the same, not the same reasons, but they were committing those acts. But Paul puts both terms in there. And God says, you cannot inherit the kingdom living in any of these ways. Now, I know some of you are thinking, you know, because we all like to we listen to we listen to the next presidential candidate more than we do the house of God. 
we listen to the next presidential candidate more than we do the Bible. We think, well, wait, isn't homosexuality something inherent? Aren't people born gay? Aren't people born with these tendencies? Aren't people born in this particular way? Today, I'm teaching you. You know that this point of view is inherently a new point of view. Historically, when you look over over different civilizations, different cultures, because so many people look at the Bible and they say, well, why do you say that about homosexual people? Why would Paul ever say that about homosexuals? He's being cruel. This is just some cultural interpretation. I don't have to receive that. There's even churches that are that are built that say, well, no, we we believe that that people are born homosexual. But that view is inherently new. Historically, when you look, when you look even whether it's through the Bible or culturally, there has not been this prevalent view that people are born homosexual. Why am I talking about this? Why, what is, is Pastor Marcus just wanting to start a fight today? No, for thousands of years, sexual immorality, specifically those I mentioned earlier, have been seen primarily as deviant practices. Homosexuality, adultery. It's all been seen as sexual deviancy. When I mean deviant, I mean it goes away from what God has established. It goes away from what the norm should be. For thousands of years, it's been seen specifically, not only by the people of God, but by societies at large as deviant practices. Except for cultures and societies that were already deviant, like Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, in the story in Sodom and Gomorrah, they they had gotten to such a place of, of deviancy where these angels come in and they go into Lot's house and the people are standing outside wanting to bring the men out that they would have sex with them. So deviant. That's where the culture had gotten. You're wondering, what am I talking about? I'm getting somewhere. See. Homosexuality has never been seen as an acceptable behavior, nor any of these sexual practices. See, today you turn you turn on your TV, you go to the movie theater, you go on the Internet and all of these practices are acceptable. None of it's deviant. It's the norm. None of it. Everything's a okay. In fact, if you're living that kind of way, it's all right. No worries. I saw it on saw it in the movie last night. No worries. And we begin to accept it as the cultural norm and the norm and the standard. But it's not an identity issue. It's not a I was born this way issue. It's a sin issue. Romans 1 talks about how when claiming to be wise, Romans 1, 22 to 27. It says that God gave up these men and women who are giving themselves to dishonorable practices. It says God gave them up to their passions. Their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving them in themselves the due penalty for their error. I mean, we've had people who've come into this house that struggle with sexual sin. So you may be thinking, what am I saying that people who struggle in this way are not welcome here? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that the word of God says that when you come in, it's not an identity issue that we tolerate. It's a sin issue that we deal with. 
You know, this idea that a person is simply born gay is a 20, 20th century idea. I'll give you a history lesson today. Well, actually, before I give you the history lesson, I want to talk to you about why I'm saying all of this. You need to understand that where you live and where we worship is where all these things are taking place. And you need to understand that God desires for it to be dealt with first in the house of God so that it can be dealt with first out in the world. You may be sitting here thinking that uh, none of this has anything to do with me. What is he talking about? Why does why should I even care? But God wants you to awaken to the fact that if you're going to bring any impact in the world, you need to first know how he feels about it. You need to first understand that you won't bring we won't bring any transformation to Hooker Hill or Homo Hill or the mosque or anywhere in Itaewon if we don't first understand how God feels about these various things. You can't bring the kingdom where you don't first know the boundaries of the kingdom exist. You got to understand this. See, until recently, until the 20th century, this idea that homosexuality or sexual deviancy at large was a an inherent thing was very, very new. But it was brought forth by two key people. You guys probably already know the name of one guy. His name is like Freud. He's kind of popular. But another guy went by the name of Alfred Kinsey. And he published something known as the Kinsey Report. Well, it's got a longer name than that, but it's known in short to be simply the Kinsey Report. In fact, what you don't know is that when you're watching your TV or you're watching presidential debates or you're having a conversation with someone about whether or not these sins or, or, or these actions are a thing that a person is born with or something that they choose to do, really what you're having a conversation about is this report. Because he published this report in the 1930s. And it said... It was it was he was a professor at Indiana University in America. And he said from he was a he was a professor of sexology. I don't even know how you get that degree. Like what? Like he's like, you know what I'm saying? Like it was weird. All right. Continue. Um, pastor Ryan, continue. Um, he was a professor and he does this study and he puts out this report. And the report says that at least 46 percent of men have some sort of homosexual urges. The report comes out to say at least almost 20 to 25% of men are born homosexual. Before this time, before this report comes out, no one has this point of view. This point of view, if it is, it's on the fringe. And anytime it does come out, it's immediately shot down because science shows the science that has been done has spoken against it. The culture The cultural norms for thousands and thousands of years spoke against it. But this report comes out. And at first, what happens is that it gets shot down. That's usually what happens when someone comes out and they're they're on the fringe and they're saying all kinds of crazy stuff. And then but what is crazy in one generation becomes norm in another. That's why I like someone like Lady Gaga, you know, everyone watches Lady Gaga and they're like, you know, three years ago, they're like, Lady Gaga is crazy. She is out of her mind. Now today you're watching it and you're like, oh, I love her songs. Her fashion's legit. <laughs> no, it's not. She wears like dog meat. She's crazy. Anyways, back to this report. 
this report comes out and no one, it gets immediately shot down. But what it did was it planted a seed in the discussion. Now, all of a sudden, people begin to start believing that, oh, well, maybe homosexuality, maybe sexual deviancy is something that I'm born with. Maybe it's something that this is the way that I've been made. This is the way that God has made me. This is my identity. Even though a lot of his research later on was was proven to be shown where he did most of his research with homosexual men. He did most of his research with prisoners, convicts and pedophiles. Yet this yet this report actually influences probably some of your beliefs in terms of a person being inherently homosexual. Another thing about Kinsey that many people don't know is that he was an astute follower of a man by the name of Aleister Crowley. Why am I talking about this today? It's going to all come back around. Trust me. He was an, he was a follower by the name by a guy by the name of Aleister Crowley. You don't know who Aleister Crowley is, but he influenced people like the Beatles. Oh, they're pretty famous, right? Aleister Crowley is the father of the New Age movement, pretty much, and the father of modern day Satanism. And I did some research and I read I read a lot of the different things that Crowley wrote that actually influenced Kinsey, that influenced the Beatles, that influenced all these different groups. And one thing that Crowley wrote was that that if you can make sexual immorality, specifically adultery and homosexuality, the norm in any particular culture, what it begins to do is it begins to destroy the family unit. And then if you can begin to destroy the family unit after a while, you can begin to destroy a society. Why am I saying all this? I'm saying all this because Satan's desire is to destroy the family because the kingdom of God is about family. Because the kingdom of God is about the institution of right relationships. Because the kingdom of God is about the institution of God's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit being pushed through relationships. One thing we love to say here at New Philly is that the kingdom of God advances through relationship. See, why does Paul talk about these sins? It's because, and he goes on, he talks about thieves, thieves, robbers, trying to amass wealth at the expense of someone else, unjust gain. People who are greedy, a person who's covetous of material things. He talks about a swindler, a drunkard. A person who's constantly getting drunk off wine and living in intoxication. A railer. I didn't know what a railer meant. So I had to like look it up like three different times. A railer means that someone who is abusive in their speech. A person who curses. A person who creates separation between themselves and others by their thought and their speech life. It also means a person who's constantly lamenting or complaining. An extortioner. It's a robber as well. Someone who uses manipulation, intimidation, domination to get what they want from people. Financially or materially. 
Paul talks about all these different things. He talks about sexual immorality. He talks about thieves. He talks about stealing. He talks about railers and drunkards and people who are, are always walking in this way of life. And he says they can't inherit the kingdom of God. And I just talked about how the kingdom of God is a family. And Satan wants to destroy a family. Why does Satan want to destroy the family of God? Because if you don't have a family, you have no inheritance. And if you don't have a family, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. If you don't have a family, you cannot ever have an inheritance. And Satan comes in with these blockers because he wants to prevent you from inheriting the kingdom. Why did I talk about all that? You ever had anyone in your family be adulterous? What does it do to the family? You ever had anyone in your family that was an addict or an alcoholic? What does it do to the family? You ever had anyone there who's constantly complaining and abusive in their speech? What does it do to the family? Anyone who is constantly covetousness and never content, what does it do to that family? Where is the righteousness? Where's the joy? Where is the peace? Where does, when does that, that family never increases. In fact, that family always decreases. See, Paul mentions these things because Satan had come into the church in Corinth and he came in with all these specific blockers that were preventing them from being a right family. And it was preventing them from relating to one another in a way in which they would continue to experience and increase the kingdom. That's what it was about. That's why Paul threw it in. It seems even random for him to put it in this chapter. He goes on to talk about sexual immorality. And he talks about that if a man who sleeps with a prostitute, he becomes one with them. Why does he talk about all these things? Because adultery and sexual immorality takes away the oneness that you should feel in your family and it puts it someplace else. The presence of God that you should feel in a family, that you should feel in the body of Christ, in the temple, in the house of God is being experienced someplace else. It's being it's being defiled. That's why Paul talks about it. See, Paul brings all this up to them. Kind of like I just did. He brings it all up to them. And I'm sure as they were reading it out publicly, because that's how they did it. When they took the letter, they stood in front of the congregation and they read it. I'm sure that a lot of people, they didn't understand what was being said, but many of them, they knew that their sins were being exposed in that very moment. The way that they were living their lives was being exposed in that very moment. And then Paul says to them, but that is what you were. Paul says, he says in verse 11, after he lists all these things, and he says, you can't inherit the kingdom of God if this is the way that you're living your life. He says, and so some of you were. Such were some of you. How do we get past this? How do we get past these kingdom blockers? How do we find ourselves living rightly as a family and expanding the kingdom? Not just here, but in, into Itaewon. 
It's three ways. Well, it's remembering who you are. But it's the three things that God calls you to remember. He wants you to remember that one, you're washed. Two, you're sanctified. And three, you're justified. You know, anytime you start to fall into sexual immorality, you've forgotten that you're washed, you're sanctified, and you're justified. Anytime you begin to covet, you, that means that you've forgotten what God has done for you. The first thing Paul says is remember that you're washed. That word washed, it, it meant not just to be made clean, but it actually was talking about baptism. It was talking about being made dead to sin and alive in Christ. The reason why maybe you're struggling and not experiencing God's righteousness, peace and joy in your life is probably because you're still alive in your sin. And you're not dead yet. We had that leadership retreat and I wasn't expecting a message like that. But Pastor Kirk, well, Kirk Bennett from IHOP, he comes up and he just talks about how we all need to be put to death. And I was like, this is morbid for a retreat. Like, I thought we were going to just have fun. But the truth of the matter is, is that the kingdom of God does not expand through people who are alive in their sin and dead in Christ. You have to be dead to your sin. The second is sanctified. It means that you're made holy. Sanctification actually means to be different, to be strange. To be completely set apart from the world. You have to be willing to be strange. I went to the Mayus retreat Friday night and Pastor Joseph, he preached about the need for believers to want to be strange. And the problem with many of us is that we don't want to be different than the world. We want the world to receive us when the world needs to receive Christ. You have to be willing to be different. You have to be willing to be sanctified, to be set apart, to be holy. And the third is justified. I think that Paul put this last because this is oftentimes the biggest problem that many of us have. Is that you're only justified by faith in Christ. You're only justified by believing that what Jesus did on the cross is sufficient. To wash away all your sins, to take away all your guilt and to make you in right standing before God. But at the heart of the matter is really whether or not you and I believe it. Do you believe that you're in right standing before God? That vision I had before when I went up at, during corporate intercession, I had this robe. It had blood all over it. And my initial desire was to try and cleanse my own robe. But God spoke to me and he said, you're, you're already pure because you're covered in my blood. And that's the cleanest thing there is. Do you believe that you're justified before God? When you know that you're washed, you're sanctified and you're justified. Ultimately, what Paul's saying is you've been received into the family of God, received into the kingdom of God. Now it's time for you to begin to live like it. Let's pray.